Welcome to MuggleCast episode 413. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And we're joined by one of our Slug Club members this week from Patreon, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi. How you doing? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I'm great. I'm very, very excited to be here. I'm uh, talking to you from about an hour east of Toronto in Canada, obviously. Obviously, and, indeed. I heard the about. Yeah, right. Yeah. You, yeah, you got that. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll try to keep my A's to a minimum, but you never know. <laughs> and you told us you just had a newborn baby. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh. Yes, I'm a brand new mom. Oh, I have a new daughter named Addison. My, uh, my wife gave birth to her 10 days ago, so she's very fresh. <laughs> <laughs> very fresh. Still has that uh, fresh baby smell. Yeah, yeah, it's very fresh baby smell. <laughs> I love that name. Oh, thanks. It's so beautiful. Have you started reading Addison Harry Potter yet? Uh, I was actually holding her while I read this chapter to get ready for today. And it was amazing. Aww, <laughs> the magic is always is already rubbing off on yeah, her. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Did you try to push for naming your child after a Harry Potter character? Uh, no, that would not have flown well. When we found out that my wife was pregnant, she gave me a very significant look that was basically, we are not having a Harry Potter nursery. Don't even ask. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so- <laughs> Maybe for baby two. Maybe, maybe, well, maybe, maybe for baby two. Baby two, young Ron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ron Junior. <laughs> so let's get your fandom ID in one breath. Please give us your favorite book, your movie, your Hogwarts house, Ilvermorny house, Patronus, and your favorite HP fandom experience. Okay, uh, so my favorite book and movie are both Half Blood Prince. So it's pretty cool about the chapter by chapter today. Perfect. Uh, Hogwarts house, Ravenclaw, Ilvermorny's Thunderbird. Patronus is a ginger cat, which I don't really love, but oh well. And my favorite Harry Potter fandom experience was for our first wedding anniversary. My wife and I went to Orlando and we went to the Wizarding World. And it was amazing, obviously. Excellent. So, yeah. What year was that? Was, that was Diagon 20, Alley open? Yes, yeah, so it was 2015. It was when um, Cabana Bay was still pretty new. Yeah. Um, okay. But we went in October, so there was no lines or anything. It was It was awesome. Excellent. Well, thanks thanks for your support on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, excited. Cool. Eric and I, we're about to... We're recording really early because we're about to go to day two of Star Wars Celebration. Day three, Andrew. Day three. Day three. Oh, gosh. Well, day two for me. <laughs> um, I, I just want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Michelle, who I met at Star Wars Celebration. He had flown in from sydney and he was attending his first fandom convention ever like he's never been to a comic-con or anything like that so star wars celebration is his first i have to say star wars celebration it is an official convention and yet it is extremely fan oriented they have tons of panels run by fans and this has been going on for a few years now i wish warner brothers slash jk rowling would put something together like this. They have done a celebration of Harry Potter, a name that is obviously very similar to Star Wars Celebration for some reason. But they don't do any like fan panels at a celebration of Harry Potter. It's all officially sanctioned events. In the Expo Center. You know what I mean, Eric? Doesn't it have a great fan vibe, this Star does Wars have a Celebration? Great, yeah, it does have a great fan vibe. I, unlike you, didn't get into any of those big name fandom panel or big name uh, panels that you have to do lotteries for. So... I've only been walking the con floor and interacting with fans. And yeah, I, I would agree. Like the the environment and the um, 
atmosphere is very, very fan centric, which is great. And of course, I'm doing the cosplay and getting a lot of you know compliments and interacting with fans in that way. I also bumped into one of our patrons uh, just the other day on on Thursday when I was there. Uh, Pablo came in from Mexico and he said he was staying at a hostel, but the hostel didn't open yet by the time he got to Chicago. So he came with a backpack and we met on the show floor and he spotted me and was like, hey, are you Eric? Uh, and it was really, really cool. So got to meet him. Excellent. Yeah. I, I told Michelle to look out for you uh, dressed as a Jedi because that's what you were dressed up as is day one. But then I'm seeing on Instagram that on day two, you were Darth Waiter. <laughs> yeah, Darth Waiter. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I get it. What are you going? Are you doing, being somebody somebody else on day three? Uh, yeah, a different, a different Jedi. The robes are actually uh, reversible. So I'm going to be like a different Jedi look today. I was just going to say what you got to do is have reversible robes. One side are Hogwarts robes and the other side are Jedi robes. Oh, yeah, that's, Two so, in one. that's so funny. Yeah, I, I Twin Roses designs are the same people who made my Gryffindor robes back in 2004 for HB Fan Trips. And I've been working with her ever since. So it turned out great. Yeah, Celebration is great. You guys are all missing out. But Andrew, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And Mikey who is uh, attending, there's like a podcast meetup tonight we got to go to. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah I, I still haven't seen him yet, but I'm going to try to do that today after one of the panels I'm going to. I'm the only person not wearing anything Star Wars at this event, by the way. <laughs> not even like a, do you have like a nerd mashup shirt or like a T-Fury shirt, none of that? No, well, I have like a BBA shirt, but that doesn't fit anymore. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I have an I Rebel shirt from rogue one hmm. maybe i'll wear that well yeah. eric has a uh, darth waiter costume that you can borrow here <laughs> <laughs> it's true dude that would fit you you'd look great in it yeah or tomorrow is uh dapper day so maybe we'll do it for that is it wow there's a lot going on there <laughs> okay no let's be real about what tomorrow is what game of thrones sunday oh yeah oh yeah we got a lot of pre-show banter but it's all relevant like Game of Thrones is huge. <laughs> Mike and I were on a podcast about it a while ago. You know, today the cool thing about today, though, 413, is we're recording episode 413 on 413 Ooh, on April 13th. Whoa! Doesn't that just blow you guys' minds? I didn't even notice that. There's a lot happening. What the? This is, what the? How did that happen? Yeah. And we're also 10 days away from Eric's and my nephew's birthday. Aww. Beautiful. Aww. That's right. <laughs> Everything is just aligning. <laughs> and Sarah just had a baby exactly. 10 days 10 ago. 10 days ago. Oh, Whoa. Yeah. can't handle all this. Before I move on, we want to take a moment to hear a quick word from one of our newest sponsors, Third Love. Third Love is the company that is making the most comfortable bras out there. They have this awesome fit finder quiz where you just answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. I've actually been wearing Third Love's bras for about a year now and can attest that the Fit Finder quiz is on point and can even help you realize you may have been wearing the wrong size for years. That's because Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. On top of that, Third Love offers a 100% fit guarantee. You have 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. If you don't love it, Return it and Third Love will wash and donate it to a woman in need. As if that wasn't enough, this is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. They're lightweight, have straps that won't slip, and tabless labels, so no itching. Plus, they have super thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape and are proprietary to Third Love. 
I personally own five of the 24-7 Perfect Coverage Bras, and these are a must-have staple for your wardrobe. It wasn't until I put one of these on for the first time that it dawned on me that bras should feel flexible and soft enough to be barely there, but simultaneously supportive enough to feel comfortable in my day-to-day. This brand is also size-inclusive, and I love how they model their bras on women of various shapes, sizes, ages, and backgrounds. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering listeners of MuggleCast 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash MuggleCast now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash MuggleCast for 15% off today. We have some feedback regarding last week's episode. Micah, do you want to read the first one? Yeah, sure. It's about 10 pages long. Uh, The first one comes from... Everything's coming up 10. This is not about last week's episode, by the way. My... Christiane. And uh, she says, Hi, Mugglecasters. Longtime listener from South Africa. Love the show. I was rewatching Crimes of Grindelwald recently and was struck with a theory I thought I'd share. I think there could be perhaps be more to Bunty than we've been led to believe. Could Bunty perhaps be a spy of either Dumbledore or more likely Grindelwald? sent to keep an eye on Newt. It might be because of the other Obscurus we know Newt has, or because Grindelwald knows Newt was involved in what happened in movie one and wants to spy on him. When Bunty gazes adoringly at Newt, and when Newt repeatedly tells her to go home but she seems reluctant to, we interpreted that as her having a crush on Newt, but it could be that she just really wants to know what he's up to and doesn't want to leave because she's actually spying on him. There's also the fact that when Jacob and Queenie show up at Newt's house, Bunty is still down in the basement that whole time. At least, we never actually see her leaving. She could be eavesdropping on them while they're upstairs and could possibly even have planted the postcard that's supposedly from Tina. Seems only a short time later that Newt and Jacob go back down to the basement to prepare to leave for Paris, and by that time, Bunty is gone. Newt leaves her all those notes, but we didn't see how or when she actually left. Is it an oversight in the writing editing of the film, or is it a bit suspicious that she disappears like that? Also, when Queenie shows Newt the magazine with his and Lita's picture in it, we see a quick glimpse of Bunty in the background, again sort of staring at Newt, and the caption of the photo just calls her, quote, unknown woman, or something to that effect. I just find it a bit suspicious that she's included here, yes, it could be because she's in love with Newt, but I wonder if there isn't more to her presence in the background, hanging around Newt and Lita and Theseus, possibly learning what they're up to. I find her demeanor in the photo ambiguous. Is she gazing shyly at her crush, Newt, or is she lurking around suspiciously, secretly gathering information? Certainly feels like a J.K. Rowling-esque move to introduce a character who seems totally unimportant and uninteresting, only to have them turn out to be important later on. Though hopefully it isn't another case of a character using Polyjuice Potion. Thanks for a great show. I love listening every week. I love this theory because we hadn't considered it before. Yeah. And we've all been sitting here being like, Bunty seems so useless. <laughs> and as this writer says, it could be a classic J.K. Rowling surprise. Yeah, I, I like it too. I think that it gives the hope. I mean, if this does come to light, I mean, it gives Bunty some sort of purpose. She didn't do anything in the film. Mm. Right. Maybe Bunty is the boa constrictor that uh, Harry saved in the zoo years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
no, I just I just like the idea that Bunty is a spy, maybe for Dumbledore. Yeah, or Grindelwald. I, the placement of the postcard, like the little loose ends that we just take for granted, Christiane was very awesome at pointing out. I, mm. I love this theory. I like the idea that there's more to her than meets the eye. I don't necessarily know that she's a spy, but it wouldn't be unlike J.K. Rowling to the, the this person's point to include a character that has greater purpose later on in the series, but now we just think them to be relatively meaningless. Right. Yeah, that's true. Maybe she has some crazy backstory or something that isn't involved necessarily with her being a spy, but something where there's just, yeah, more to her than a few pointless glimpses that we got in the film. Yeah. Yeah. She's just You're... lusting over Newt. Right. And it's like, why? Why would J.K. Rowling yeah. write this? Right. Yeah, why would she <laughs> intentionally write a character who's defined by her enamoredness with another character? Like, surely exactly. stuff was cut out. Yeah. I do I do have a question though. If we were reading this as a book, would we feel the same way about Bunty or would we just kind of sort of move past it because it just felt like fodder for the story? Uh, oh, that's true because there are several characters like this who are just uh-huh. kind of yeah, who just have very small appearances mm-hmm. in the book. But if if Harry Potter mm-hmm. if Fantastic Beasts were a book, what would the point of view be? Would it be third person or first person for Newt? Because if it were third person, we might actually get more insight into each character's uh, history. But if it were from Newt's perspective, he is obviously oblivious. So she probably would come across the same way. Now for some actual feedback regarding last week's episode. Laura, can you read this next email? Sure. Uh, it's Katie, and she writes in in defense of Snape. Hi, MuggleCast. I'm a Snape fan and needed to chime in about your discussions on Snape last week. I think comparing Snape to Mundungus Fletcher or Aunt Petunia is a bit unfair. Mundungus was a low-level thief and a coward who cost Mad-Eye Moody his life. Snape, on the other hand, is very brave and is always one of the first people to run into harm's way to try and protect people. And yes, Aunt Petunia does the absolute bare minimum for Harry by allowing him to live in her house, but Snape has gone above and beyond the call of duty for Harry year after year by continuously putting his own life in danger in order to protect Harry. Snape sacrificed his own life goals and dreams just to come to Hogwarts to protect Harry. His whole life revolves around protecting Harry. Petunia's life does not. He seems very sacrificial or self-sacrificial and heroic in that way to me. You also said Dumbledore might not fully trust Snape with the Defense Against the Dark Arts position, but throughout every single book, we are told how explicitly Dumbledore trusts Snape. In Deathly Hallows, when Dumbledore says that he won't share the secret of the Horcruxes with Snape while Snape is so closely... uh, or so closely tangles from Lord Voldemort's arm. This was Dumbledore taking a precaution as Lord Voldemort could have found out by using legitimacy on Snape or a dozen other unforeseen scenarios. Dumbledore was just being cautious of plans going awry, but not because he had any doubts about where Snape's loyalties lied. Snape was Dumbledore's man through and through. I think Dumbledore has replaced Lily as Snape's current best friend. Thanks. Love the show. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's like I I appreciate the optimism. I think that might be giving him a little too much credit. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't why? Well, not to I'll jump in for Laura for a second here since she yeah. just had to read that whole thing, but 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's long emails week here on MuggleCast. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. Yes. 10 pages at minimum. <laughs> yes. but, but these are great theories. I really like them. Yeah. I, I would argue that when um, Katie says that his whole life revolves around protecting Harry and Petunia's life does not, I would say Petunia's definitely does. I, even if it's not really you know, intentional on her part, she's risking the safety and the security of her own family to protect Harry. And I'm not about jumping on, you know, the Petunia bandwagon here to, you know, downplay the importance of Snape. But I, I would argue that Petunia does quite a bit for Harry that she otherwise wouldn't have to do just by letting him live at Privet Drive. Yeah, I mean, upending the family unit that she normally would have of just her, Vernon, and Dudley. Maybe they would have had a second kid if it weren't for Harry. You never know. And I don't think that it's that Dumbledore doesn't trust Snape with the defense against the dark arts position. I think it's that Dumbledore knows the nature of the position, and he knows that it's been cursed, and he knows that Snape is all too important to his plans to put him into that role right now. Right. Mm -hmm. I also think Dumbledore is keenly aware of the fact that most people have this like quote unquote dark side or something that they're really vulnerable around um, just because of his involvement with Grindelwald and the Deathly Hallows. And it's possible that he might think that putting Snape in the defense against the dark arts position while he's simultaneously, uh, a, you know, working for Voldemort as a spy, except not really, this could put Snape in a really difficult position should Voldemort start trying to leverage that. Yeah, or and he could be also worried that, you know, Snape was sort of not relapse, but I mean, Dumbledore knows the sort of limitations of his own self and mm-hmm. he does have a high opinion of himself. And so to think that Snape could be sort of subject to something similar... Totally. Um, and he yeah. knows the position is cursed, which right. means if he casts Snape in that position, he would be out within a year and more dangerous to the world at large. Mm-hmm. I think that has probably a larger uh, bearing on the overall Snape never getting that position than any trust issue. That's how I feel as well. I, I feel it's more that Dumbledore's awareness of the curse and knowing that he could lose Snape within a year. We don't know necessarily what will happen to him just because there's been right. so many different things that have happened to the other professors. Yeah. Cause doesn't that point come up in book seven somewhere where there's some sort of when Snape does get the dark arts job, or I guess it's in this book, something about you foresee a time where you won't need Snape at Hogwarts anymore. I think Ron I th- jokes about it in the movie, doesn't he? Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. And we have yeah. We have one more email about Snape. This is from Amy. She's a fairly new listener to the podcast and it's her first time writing in. She says, I'm not a psychologist, but in my experience, those who were bullied as children respond as adults in one of two ways. They either become the bully when they find themselves in positions of power over people they perceive to be like those who bullied them, or they go through the work of realizing that being bullied does not define who they are and they develop empathy for those who are bullied, standing against bullying. Clearly, Snape chose the former, becoming a bully himself. I think it makes him feel better about himself, and he finds and he feels justified in doing so to Harry what his father and Sirius did to Snape. It is misplaced retaliation. Yet there is no justification of what he does and the terrible example he sets as a professor and adults. 
It is inappropriate, unprofessional, petty, and just plain mean to encourage and exacerbates the problem of bullying that exists in any teenage environment. One of my big issues with the series is I wish Snape's is I wish Snape's behavior had been addressed by Dumbledore. As headmaster, Dumbledore should in no way allow Snape to treat students like that, but Dumbledore is obviously a fairly hands-off headmaster in the daily issues of Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, he is. Too focused on the big picture things going on outside of the castle. I love this email. This is a great point, too, about <laughs> exacerbating the problem of bullying that exists in any teenage environment. He's encouraging other kids to do it when they see him bullying Mm -hmm. yeah this this is much more in line with how i feel about snape i appreciate that snape was all about the greater good and there was a lot of self-sacrifice involved but i cannot get really past how awful he is as a professor not only to harry but all the other mostly gryffindors well essentially any non-slytherins and i just think he's so awful even you know even though he has this redeeming quality on in terms of sort of the good versus the bad that scene in book four where Hermione's teeth she gets hit with that curse and her teeth are growing and growing and he just says oh I don't see any difference I mean that's horrible right yeah I don't know I also kind of love it though from a character perspective because again it drives home this point that just because you're on the right side of the war doesn't necessarily make you a good person in all other aspects of your life and that's just realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. Our second sponsor this week is a returning champion, Care Of. I quickly fell in love with this company. They are a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. Did you know that 90% of people fall short of FDA-recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient? With the winter blues finally coming to an end, it's time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your healthiest. Care of make sure you're getting the vitamins and supplements you need to lead a better life. You start by taking their fun online quiz that asks you about your diet, your health goals, and lifestyle choices. And after they have your answers, they give you a personalized list of vitamins and supplements that you should be taking. This is genius. Then you can order them from Care of and they'll start delivering them to you. I took the quiz. It was fun and cute. It was like taking a Pottermore quiz. And then they presented me with six vitamins they think I need to be taking. And Care of provides all the research that supports each of their recommendations. And it's all backed by a scientific advisory board. So you know, they're not screwing around here. Your vitamins get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs. You just pull out a pack of the box every day. It's got your name and a fun fact or challenge for your daily amusement printed right on the back. And then every day... You're taking six pills that'll do things like, in my case, improve my energy, give me fish oils, and give me precious vitamin D. These were all things that Care of decided I needed after I told them about my lifestyle in their quiz. I'm really enjoying it, and as someone who works out and already tries to eat healthy, I love knowing that my workouts and diet are now being complemented with the nutrients I've been missing. I want you to try Care of. You're going to love having your daily vitamins and supplements sorted out for you by the experts. And if you've been waiting to sign up, you're about to be rewarded because we have an even better deal than we did last time. For 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter MuggleCast50. Again, for 50% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code MuggleCast50. Thank you, Care Of, for your support of the show. 
All right, it's time now to move on to chapter by chapter. This week we are discussing Half-Blood Prince chapter 22, After the Burial. We'll start, as always, with our seven-word summary. And Sarah, since you're our guest this week, you're going to start us off. Okay. Good luck. Okay, thanks. Um, <clears throat> my first word is going to be Aragog. Causes. Harry. No. N-O. <laughs> yeah. Issues. Gosh. Uh, with? Mm. Good luck, Micah. <laughs> this is where I imagine Slughorn. Yeah. That's oh, where I imagine it going. I like it. Oh, that okay. was the easiest one ever. <laughs> we did it. It kind of makes sense. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks to Aragog. Uh, you know, Slughorn is with Harry that night and Harry gets the memory from him. Yeah, he's an important part of this chapter for being dead in the whole thing. <laughs> absolutely. And an important <laughs> connection back to Chamber of Secrets that I know we'll talk about. We've been connecting the threads through a number of these chapters back to the second book, and this chapter is definitely no exception. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that you uh, brought that up too, Micah, because I have a connection to make to Prisoner of Azkaban. This chapter, which I know we all love, right? And Sarah, you said that Half-Blood Prince is your favorite book and movie. I think... Is it and and correct me if I'm wrong, is this not just such a well adapted chapter in the book and in the in the film version? Yeah, I think this one is for sure. I think um what I like about this movie is in in this part in particular also is that they keep a lot of the little things in. So it's neat in the movie that uh Slughorn is actually taking venomous tentacular leaves and you know, there's lots of little sort of easter eggs that are kept in from the books that you know the line from the odo song is in the movie and and stuff like that so i think that uh you're right it is pretty well adapted agreed yeah and and i would add to that and we'll talk about a little bit later on in the chapter but the addition of the francis the fish story by uh, david yates and david Heyman, i thought was really really well done and something that could have easily been included in the book Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely feels like canon. And it's one of the rare instances where the films sort of inform and, and penetrate our hearts in that way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, but speaking of penetrating hearts, Hagrid's very upset. The chapter opens with them <laughs> finding out that Aragog has died. And you know what I love? And this is something that as an American uh, child who got this book when it, you know, when it came out, Really, really loved seeing the letter that Hagrid sends them has teardrops on it, actually in the book. And this is something that I just adore. It uh, only occurred, they did this once before in Prisoner of Azkaban when Beaky was sentenced to death. And it just breaks my heart to see Hagrid's uh, untidy scrawl that's, it's damp. It's moist. The, the the book calls it out, but to be able to visually see the graphic design and the and the typesetting and the characters really, really adds to, I think, the experience of reading these books. I'm glad that you included this uh, image because as a Canadian, I have the British versions of the books. And so we don't get this. And this is actually that you're right. This is really, really nice with the tears. It really sort of brings across some more of that emotion that Hagrid is feeling about his oldest friend having mm-hmm. died. I mean, I can't believe our luck that we got a British or Canadian uh, guest on to talk about this because in the British books, correct me if I'm wrong, everything is the same typesetting. So even like 
the Hogwarts letters, it's all, I think it's Adobe Garamond, but it's not. They're just in italics. Yeah. This yeah. Whole, yeah. It's the same font. It's just in italics. Letters. We um, have. Newspaper. Clips. All that no stuff. No chapter art. There is no chapter art. We have all no. the fun over here. I'm pretty attached to my books, though, so don't go carving up the Aww. Canadian and British versions. <laughs> no, 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 no. And and it's just, it was, a, a <laughs> as as an anecdotally, it was just a nice way to grow up. That's mm-hmm. pretty much where I was going. Yeah, no, it is very nice with the tears. In, in, uh, I'll say something good about yeah. the UK slash Canadian versions of the book. They're more portable. They're, they're smaller physically. That's true. They yeah. are smaller, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the cover art better on those versions. Ooh. So <gasps> Gasp, you traitor. <laughs> All right, we're not starting a thing here. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't, <laughs> don't go telling Mary Grand Prix. Though I will say Hagrid's penmanship is on point. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Much. I think it probably took, took him like a month to write this. Mm-hmm. Highly <laughs> doubtful he would actually write like that. So, Andrew, you noted how you thought that overall this was one of the funniest chapters of the series. It's just very kind of – despite the dark – component of it with Aragog having passed. It's yeah. kind of lighthearted. It is. Especially, you know, given that Harry has taken the Felix Felicis. Uh, obviously, it gets a, a little bit more deep as we get towards the end of the chapter. Yeah. But for the most part, and, and I thought it was, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, really well adapted in the films. Yeah, and I guess that's part of the reason why when I was rereading it, I was like, oh, this chapter is so fun because I'm thinking about the scene in the movie, which I actually rewatched last week as well. Right. And Dan was so funny in that scene, too. He was, like with the picture. The <laughs> yeah. Pinces, pinces. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he's like, I, f- I finally get to act. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's really it, yeah. He really shines, for sure. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, even in the book, just the mood, like you guys are saying, the only thing that... I think it needs in the in the chapter is basically just that that drum beat that right as he's going around because it's very smooth, very fluid, and the the soundtrack in the movie captures that as well. Just the the unusual circumstance that they have this potion that alters reality itself or probability and can favor whoever takes it is a really cool bit of magic. It's like a cool introduction so i i just um i th- i love this chapter and the adaptation for sure another funny part of it was just ron and hermione's and harry's reactions to hagrid inviting them down to aragog's funeral like hagrid is just completely clueless when it comes to aragog's treatment <laughs> of the trio and they're, they're just flabbergasted that they would get an invite and that to me was really funny to read doesn't Ron say something like, believe me, being dead will have improved Aragog right. a lot or something? Yeah. Like that's, that's a pretty good line. Yeah. <laughs> I also love how Hagrid seems kind of clueless about the fact that the only reason Aragog's children didn't eat him is because Aragog <laughs> told them not to. Yeah. <laughs> and he even had a hard time getting Aragog's carcass out of the woods. Ugh. Yeah. Because they wanted to eat him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Well, Ron and Hermione both uh, come up with excuses as to why they will not go down to see Aragog. But I think that puts Harry in great position to uh, take the Felix Felicis and go and get Slughorn's memory. But yeah, as we mentioned kind of at the top of the chapter discussion, there are a lot of threads to connect here with Aragog because he's quite possibly one of our biggest ties to, to Chamber of Secrets. Uh, we obviously meet him in the second book. 
He was the monster that was falsely accused of attacking Moaning Myrtle. This was all thanks to Tom Riddle. And it's interesting that he should factor so prominently into Harry getting the Horcrux memory from Slughorn. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, this is not done by coincidence. But one of the other things that also came to mind, just kind of looking through these threads, is that there's a good chance that we'll find out more about this particular story in Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> uh, you think so? Hagrid coming in possession of Aragog? Not only or, coming in possession of Aragog, but I think we will be at Hogwarts at a time when the Chamber of Secrets will be opened, and maybe we'll get a little bit more backstory into how that all came to be. Yeah, that would be very cool. I just had a thought that I wanted to share with you guys that's kind of connecting the threads-ish, and it it might be a bit of a stretch, but I want to hear y'all's reaction. So um, Harry was able to destroy Tom Riddle's diary with the Basilisk Fang, and in this case, he's able to get access to the Horcrux memory that he needs by offering up Aragog's venom to Slughorn. Mm. In both cases, it's like this venom that sort of plays a key role in getting Harry what he needs. That is kind of neat, especially because they're both towards him defeating Voldemort, and Voldemort is so almost venomous seeming with his sort of all of his snake illusions, and mm-hmm. he, you know, you need snake venom from Nagini to survive before he has his body and stuff like that. I love that. Really, yeah. I just like how J.K. Rowling has all of these little tiny connections. I mean, obviously, Aragog is a big connection. But if you really like drill in on that, there's even more going on under the surface. Yeah. Which is what I love about her as a writer. Yeah. And and speaking of Aragog, let's not forget, he directly tells, I think, Harry and Ron, uh, he came to Hagrid in the pocket of a traveler. Yeah. And uh-huh. Newt keeps lots of little thingies in his pockets. So. Yeah. <laughs> little friends. People have picked up on that. I think that would be a super cool connection. I'm just not sure there's room for this, but I guess we'll see. If there was room for Yusuf Kama. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Yusuf was the traveler. Oh, my God. There was room that's for Bunty. <laughs> for Bunty. Yeah, that's true. So do we think that because that exists, that J.K. Rowling's promised us that there's room for all this other stuff that was <laughs> already set up? J.K. Rowling's promised to us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wink. Don't worry, y'all. I'm going to fit it all in. <laughs> well, I'm going to give a, a shout out here to, to Ron for coming up with the bright idea of using Felix Felicis and uh, that's how Harry's going to get Slughorn's memory. It's kind of one of those moments similar to last chapter where your head kind of hits the desk a little bit because just like Harry couldn't for some reason figure out that Draco was using the room of requirement until it just kind of smacked him in the face. Mm. It's kind of the same thing in this chapter with the Felix Felicis. Right. You're saying that he's going to get lucky? Thanks, Daft Punk. There's, there's gotta be a YouTube version that's the movie mixed with that sound. There's gotta be. <laughs> Nobody's done that yet. We'll find it. Let's you see Harry slowly walking out onto the Hogwarts grounds as his, his plays. I got it. I got it figured out, y'all. Oh my God. That's what they should have sang. 
But this should have said uh <laughs> Aragog's uh, funeral. Well, yeah, there you go. I don't think Hagrid would be able to carry much of a tune. But Sarah, were you going to say something? Oh, when you were reading this for the first time, I know, you know, it's going way back. But to me, I didn't even occur. Like, I had forgotten about Felix also, you know. So the way that J.K. Rowling writes, she gets you obsessed with whatever Harry's obsessed with. And so mm. it didn't. I wasn't waiting for him to use Felix. I wasn't sitting there reading, come on here, you've got the Felix Felices, use it already. <laughs> yeah. I was just as sort of, I had the same reaction um, to the word lucky, really, that Ron did. Yeah. And I guess we as readers don't know how effective Felix Felices would actually be in this type of situation. Mm-hmm. They are rolling the dice here. Well, especially because we've seen Ron be so successful just because he thought that he had taken it. Right. So it raises the question, like, if you just believe that you can, what's the point of even taking Felix in the first place? Mm -hmm. I think, too, it's possible that Slughorn, if Harry had not worn him down so much by not to like if Harry had taken Felix sooner, would he have had the same results and success? Mm -hmm. I think is a question, Um, because it's also as much about how Harry has been persistent, I think, that weighs into slughorn kind of understanding and and harry being able to reason with him of this is important and i need this from you right harry by the way is initially hesitant to use the felix felices (laughs) and there's this paragraph laura thought this was gross but i actually thought it was really romantic he says what no i'm with laura jake jakey rolling writes the thought of that little golden bottle had hovered on the edges of his imagination for some time vague and unformulated plans that involved Ginny splitting up with dean and ron somehow being happy to see her with a new boyfriend had been fermenting in the depths of his brain unacknowledged except during dreams or the twilight time between sleeping and waking he's having these thoughts that oh one day i can use the felix felicis to get with Ginny." And, like, he doesn't have much time to think about it, but occasionally he does, and it makes him happy. This is weird. <laughs> like, don't you ever dream, Laura? About girls. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, but, like, <laughs> I <laughs> I don't I don't understand this mentality of wanting to, like, tip the scales to make somebody fall in love with you. That's weird. Like, that's two steps away from giving her a love potion, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Not into it. <laughs> yeah. Just use your nice charms, Harry. I didn't I didn't <laughs> see it as making her fall in love with Harry, more as just setting things on the right track. Yeah. Because they clearly have feelings towards one another already. I mean, that does happen for him with this bumping through the portrait hole thing. Right. Yeah, in a right? way. So he's still, you know... Yeah, it, it, in a way, Felix absolutely is still setting up uh, the situation. Yeah, I wouldn't call it romantic thoughts, but I, I think that, you know, in the way to be a kid in love and you're like, wouldn't it be nice if everything in the universe worked out that way, right? Like, I think it's probably innocent, but I think that also um, it happens so infrequently in the books. Like, you know, if you were to say half a Prince is the book about love, like you'd be like, and all these hormones, you'd be right. But still, within this book, we can go entire chapters uh, without hearing about Harry's inner monster. So I think that this was just a way for J.K. Rowling to be like, yep, he's been thinking about Jenny the last couple months. Don't worry, people. I'm just not going to obsess over writing about it because she is, as you said, Sarah, too, like balancing what we as readers should be obsessed with. So she's just she that this little thing about he's been dreaming about Jenny when he wakes up or whatever, you know, is kind of a, a nice way of saying that's still going on. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of definitely, yeah. 
But I think before we jump into him fully taking the Felix Felicis, it is worth noting that he does make one last ditch attempt to get Slughorn by himself. And a situation does present itself with all the kids at the uh, apparition test. So it's a very small potions class that Harry attends. And he does notice that Draco is looking a little thinner and paler than usual, and that kind of gets him into good spirits. Uh, but after producing a, uh amazing uh, potion at the uh, sort of, I don't know, he uses the, the Half-Blood Brits book again, yet again to uh, his advantage, um, he notices that Slughorn dips out very, very quickly uh, once the class concludes. Mm-hmm. So I have a question here. Do we think that Slughorn has spent the last few months running away from Harry because he knows that Harry has the Felix Felicis and is probably and is like, oh crap. (laughs) (laughs) He should have thought about this way sooner. Like he should have given somebody else the Felix Felicis, even though Harry won that little competition. Uh, because he should have known that this would happen. So, yes, I, I think so, Laura. I, I think so, too. I think his resolve was, if one person didn't forget that Harry had uh, Felix, it should probably be him. So, yeah, I think his resistance, his ridiculous, like, outrageous avoidance of Harry is not only very justified because he doesn't want to be a bad person but uh, or be revealed to be the bad person that he has been, but because he gave Harry the, the potion that's going to work against his favor. Yeah. And he brews a potion called Euphoria, which I think is a definitely foretelling of of what's about to happen when he takes the Felix Felicis, because mm-hmm. he feels euphoric. I mean, it's almost like a I don't know necessarily what to compare it to. It's kind of like Jim Carrey when he puts on the mask <laughs> in in the movie The Mask, where he's just like filled with this. I can do anything I want to do whenever I want to do it now. Yeah. Smoking. <laughs> but he's also guided. That's the other piece that I wanted to talk a little bit about was you know, how exactly does this potion play with your mind? It seems like you almost have a little bit of a voice in the back of your head. Yeah. And Rowling describes it as lighting a few steps along the path that you're supposed to take. I really love that. You know, we all experience this when we just have a feeling about something. And I guess. When you take Felix Felicis, the feelings are more enhanced in terms of what you are supposed to be doing. And maybe you trust those in any given moment because you know that you're on Felix. Yeah, there's yeah. there's definitely something to be said about confidence. And I know, like a good anal- analogy would be Ron with his Quidditch. Like he only thought he took it, and he did better at Quidditch. His confidence, uh, his his stamina, they were all there. When you're actually on Felix, it's like it's like going into a job interview, and if you behave or 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 if you feel within you that you've already gotten the job, there's something psychologically that you appear more confident to your interviewers. You you know appear more, you give more thoughtful, insightful answers, and like it's all about attitude kind of, and people really respond to confidence in those kinds of settings. So Harry, you know, having this potion light the way for him is able to behave in a way where a lot of the stuff he might muck up due to his anxiety over getting the memory from Slughorn is gone. He has zero anxiety inhibiting his actions. And I think that is something that works in his favor because he's bold enough to bring up like his dead mom and things like that. So I, I think it's it's weird because it's like magical and psychological factors at play. Definitely. And uh, I think that 
you know, Laura, was it you that asked the question about the placebo effect when Ron is talking about yeah, exactly. how he was feeling even though he didn't take it? I'm not sure Harry could have used the the same strategy with Slughorn without being on Felix Felicis. No. It, it just seems like he tried and he tried and he tried and he tried so many times that it, it just wasn't going to work. He needed something that was going to be in his favor. Well, and I think part of it too is that his heart was never truly in it before he took the Felix Felicis. Mm-hmm. Like all of his attempts are sort of half-hearted, which is an interesting parallel to Malfoy, who seems to be making these half-hearted attempts to complete this mission, and it's taking a really nasty toll on him. Yeah, he also uh, received help from alcohol too. Right? <laughs> Maybe he didn't need the Felix Felicis at all. Maybe it was just the alcohol. <laughs> Maybe. Oh my god, the Felix. Yeah. The Felix just brought him to Hagrid's and then let him do that nonverbal spell. And then the me did the rest. Yeah. Maybe Dumbledore drank some Felix Felicis before he went to the orphanage. <laughs> and that was where he got the divine inspiration to give the the orphanage um, like principal gin. the gin. Yeah. Felix <laughs> is really just a gateway drug to get more people to buy alcohol. It's, <laughs> it's funny that you brought that up, though, Laura, because now I'm thinking about it. There's been a consistent trend of getting people drunk uh, in in this book. To get information. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that got brought up because another part of my favorite part of this movie is the all hands on deck Granger when Slughorn shows up in three broomsticks and like is already wasted and he like spills some on her. I just think it's like a fun <laughs> actor moment between the two characters. Mm-hmm. There is definitely some kind of a theme. But Hagrid's been getting drunk and revealing things he shouldn't for years. This is book one with uh, Norbert and Fluffy. Both uh, things happened in pubs. Shady things happen in pubs. Yeah, and also it's worth bringing up that a couple of chapters ago when Dumbledore was showing Harry the memories in the pensieve of Tom Riddle coming back to Hogwarts to try and get the Defense Against the Dark Arts post – he mentioned that he had all this intel, and that's what happens when you're good friends with the local bartender. Right. We've got a new pitch for BuzzFeed. 42 times alcohol played a big role in the Harry Potter series. No, it's got to be an odd number. It's got to be like 41 or 43. Sure, sure. <laughs> there you go. So on the way down to Hagrid's, uh, Harry uh, overhears Slughorn and Professor Sprout. It's a bit different in the movies and uh sprout is obviously not there but this sort of begins in this chapter to paint a very nasty picture in my mind anyway i don't know how you guys feel about it of slughorn and you know he claims that he wants these venomous tentacular leaves for his third year students i'm not sure i believe that (laughs) given what follows what makes you think that (laughs) Uh, what are your thoughts? Because we'll get into it a little bit later. We can start talking about it right now. But Slughorn clearly has a side hustle that is going on yeah. here with all these <laughs> rare magical things that he's acquiring throughout the chapter. And then he does something or he reveals something later on that, I don't know, better not tell Hermione about because <laughs> that, it's definitely illegal. Like, how does Dumbledore let it go on? I don't know, but... Hands we'll, off. We'll, this, to me, just adds to the humor of the chapter, honestly. Slughorn's being a double agent here. He's 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 coming up with this fake sympathy for Hagrid's dead spider, and in the meantime, he's getting 
these uh, valuable things out of Aragog. I think it's, I th- to me, it was just funny. And yes, it makes him a bad person, but still, it's funny. Well, not only that, I mean, yeah, the Venomous Tentacula, the, the Acromantula Venom, he definitely works the room when he's in Hagrid's hut to eventually get the unicorn hair. <laughs> and not only that, before they sit down to drink, he's like, oh, Harry, don't worry. I've been using house elves as poison taste testers. Right. So you don't have to worry. <laughs> We're good. What? Like, Well, and I think this is hilarious because at the end of the chapter, when he gives Harry the memory, he's like, please don't think badly <laughs> when you see this. Too late. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I'm glad you're worried about that now. <laughs> no wonder Dobby hasn't been sleeping. He's been like drinking mead when he's not uh, trailing Draco and probably has severe anxiety about getting poisoned. <laughs> and Slughorn probably has this new business going on for the rest of his life where he just gets Hagrid drunk and then takes all of his valuables from him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The unicorn here, he's scouring to see what other sort of treasures Hagrid has, like... Yeah, <laughs> it's honestly not that much different than Tom Riddle with Hepzibah Smith. Uh, you know what kind of secrets you got locked away in this room of? I yours. mean, there's no murder. There's no murder. That's, it isn't murder. That's true. But no that's murder. next for Slughorn. He's going to kill Hagrid. Yeah. If Hagrid starts putting up a fight. I feel like Slughorn is just a better educated Mundungus <laughs> Fletcher. Well, we're comparing every character to Mundungus Fletcher, aren't we? Snape. <laughs> we're going to get an email next yeah. week in defense of Slughorn. <laughs> but Slughorn needs that money. What do you think it says, though, about... I, I know we're saying that it, it's kind of funny to read these things, but... Does it say something about Slughorn's character? You, we've, we've seen how he is quite the collector, but does this bring out even more, some could argue, his his Slytherin traits? I think he's just kind of selfish and a little bit slimy. Yeah, yeah. He's an opportunist. You know, like he's just, he doesn't care that Hagrid's lost his oldest friend. He's worried about getting the venom before it dries up, and he's just interested in what he can get out of this for Hagrid. And when they're talking about the unicorn here, it's so like the, the difference between the contrast between Hagrid's approach to the unicorn hair saying it's really useful for binding up bandages to hurt in, to help injured creatures. And Slughorn says, hang on, do you know how much you can get for that? Are you, what are you wasting it on creatures for? Right. So would, would we do this for, uh, you know, somebody? Would we, Oh my gosh, of course not. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it would be so risky to me, though, to do it in this particular scene because if Hagrid caught you. Now, of course, in the movie, Slughorn does it right in front of Hagrid and Hagrid doesn't mind it. Um, but Hagrid, I think, would get so mad at you if he caught you doing this secretly and he'd beat you to death. So I probably wouldn't have the guts to do it. But it also makes sense. It also makes sense to me. This stuff is just going to go in the ground. Mm-hmm. Why not extract it and sell it? But I think, doesn't he actually break off one of Aragog's pincers? In the movie, wow, yeah, wow. he breaks off a leg, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oops. He just- <laughs> He's got to crack him open like a coconut to get that juice out. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd do it for science. Well, that's what he's like, claiming he's doing it for. Yeah, I know, but I actually would. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harry and Slughorn make their way down. Harry goes there first. Slughorn needs to go change or something to that effect. And, uh, you know, the uh, the burial itself is actually very quick. And Slughorn 
he's he's pretty eloquent. He's he says some nice words about Aragog despite not knowing him at all and and helps the actual burial process. So, you know, there are some redeeming qualities to him, but it's only because he knows that he's going to be able to get some acromatula venom that who knows what he's going to do with or sell it for. And I know we asked over on Patreon on the links line what song would you use to pay tribute to Aragog? It was always uh, something I think that we did in uh, previous episodes going way, yeah. way back. Yeah. Uh, when a character uh, would die in the series, we would play a, a song for them. So what kind of answers did we get? Uh, so the top one seems to be Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. That was from Amanda. That one got six votes. Oh, actually, the top one was from Catherine, who I know. She says, I mean, from Hegra's perspective, I Will Remember You by Sarah McLaughlin would be appropriately (laughs) moody. Uh, (laughs) I Will Follow You Into the Dark by Death Cab for Cutie. Quote, if anyone wanted to find out some stuff, all they'd have to do would be to follow the spiders. That's a good reference there. Uh, Amy said, Candle in the Wind. (laughs) So a lot of standard death songs, in my opinion. What about Spiderwebs by No Doubt? Nice. Oh. <laughs> Micah, I have a hard time imagining you listening to that song, but okay. It's on the radio. Bad Blood by Ta- Taylor Swift. That came in from Andy. Um, but the top, the, the one that received the top vote was Catherine's I Will Remember You. So I think just to say farewell, we should listen to this for a moment and reflect on the life of Aragog. <laughs> I will remember. Your body will decay. <laughs> will you remember me? But your memory. As Sarah sings this. Lives on. Don't let your Hagrid in the background cracking open a pincer. Or sorry, Slughorn. <laughs> Nothing to see over here. Nothing to see. Ah, that bass line's very nice. Reflecting on all the times Aragog tried to kill the trio. <laughs> so touching. Thanks, everybody, who participated over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. Yeah. I still vote for spiderwebs. <laughs> That'd be great. Sorry, Micah. So the scene shifts to inside of uh, Hagrid's hut. And as part of the initial conversation... I think uh, Slughorn refers to Ron as Rupert, and I don't think that's by accident. No. We've talked about it before I think, on the show. Yeah, I think we have. It's interesting to me, though, because obviously by the time the book came out, the movies were very, very, very popular, as was the fandom or the franchise on a whole. But J.K. Rowling extremely rarely actually references the real world. So for this to happen is kind of surreal to me, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think it was an intentional nod. I think we all probably do. Uh, and I like it, but I also like how rarely this sort of thing was used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine she accidentally referred to Harry as Dan or something like <laughs> right. can really only do it with Ron and Rupert because they're similar. Yeah. yeah. So I Dan, guess that's why I mean, it's okay. Harry, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> And in the uh, the movies, though, isn't it his last name that Slughorn always messes up? 
Uh, Witherby, Weasley, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a yeah. Wembley in there or something. Wembley, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually like Jim Broadbent a lot. I think he does a really good job playing Slughorn. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, now it's time to just get pissed drunk uh, if you're Slughorn. <laughs> Finally. And Hagrid, Harry is smart enough, thanks to Felix, that little voice in the back, in the back of his head telling him, you know what? Just fake drinking. Don't uh don't let anybody catch you, but uh, let these other two just kind of kick back and get wasted on some mead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the conversation turns relatively quickly, and it gets really deep. It gets you know to Harry talking about losing his parents, and Slughorn can't really bear to hear the details. And I think there's a level of guilt. Right. Uh, Even before Harry kind of further guilts him into revealing the memory about, uh, you know, what happened with with Tom Riddle, I think that do you believe that that Slughorn feels any responsibility for what inevitably happened to uh, James and Lily, particularly Lily? Um, It's like Harry. uh, It's like Hermione said. Um, right off, right before Harry went off to, and they went off to Hogsmeade, Hermione says that this all comes down to Voldemort, doesn't it? And they, they had these other classmates where their younger brother was bitten and killed by a werewolf. And they're like, it all comes down to Voldemort. And Slughorn has enabled Voldemort to become what he has. And I think in no small way, Slughorn is acutely aware of the idea he's he's found a way to live with himself comfortably even having given that knowledge to young tom riddle but he has refused all year to dumbledore to come clean about his role uh and i think that shows that he's he is still harboring you know some 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 guilt over not just lily but i think the entire state of the world today this is the man who like it or not told voldemort how to survive past death and i think he does bear a lot of guilt for that yeah I think Slughorn makes it pretty obvious that he does feel guilty. And that's why he hasn't wanted to come clean for... uh, He doesn't want to come clean with this memory. Because it knows it makes him... He says himself, I think, that it makes him look really bad. Well, and I think he's more concerned with that than he is with anything else. Right, yeah. Like how he'll look, again, getting back to him being selfish. Yeah. Because if he wasn't worried about that, he obviously would have handed it over by now. Because he recognizes that he did great damage... And hopefully he also recognizes that he could help, but he's so worried about how he'll look Mm -hmm. that he withholds it. This is why the Francis the Fish moment is so brilliant in the film, because it connects also Slughorn's love for Lily and that Lily's skill at potions, which came up again in this chapter and is still so you know prevalent in these books, gets mentioned all the time to the point where I'm really wondering how much Snape and Lily bonded over potion making between the two of them. But it just, it connects directly Slughorn and his, his emotional level to Harry's emotional level. They meet in the middle there over love of Lily. And that really unlocks Slughorn's, you know, worst nature to be, to be a better person. Yeah. And also this line, you'd cancel out anything you did by giving me the memory. <laughs> that is... Manip- was that the Felix talking? Because that was... It is. It's so bad. But 
It, is it? I thought it was smart. Well, yeah, people and manipulative, but that's okay. People yearn for that emotional catharsis, and Harry is, in a sense, giving up any kind of um, anger and and releasing, you know, forgiving Slughorn basically. And and Harry uh, Slughorn, to his credit, admires Harry enough, and you know, respects him and knows he's the chosen one and all that to take his absolution as the world's absolution for his misdeeds and that's what makes him give up the memory i think harry's right though slughorn did make this mistake and now the way to correct it is by helping him and dumbledore yeah yeah i think it's a really good point for harry to have made to sort of really assert himself that this is what he needs and come on slughorn hand it over definitely and i agree that that the Francis the fish was one of the the more tear jerking moments in in the series. Yeah. Uh, you know, as Slughorn is explaining, you know that the morning that he came down and Francis wasn't there was the the morning after that James and Lily, well, particularly Lily, had been killed. Yeah, by Voldemort. So Harry is is successfully able to get Slughorn's memory, and now we'll see exactly what uh, the conversation was between him and a young Voldemort. Dumbledore is going to be so pleased. And that is the chapter. Our final sponsor this week is a new one for the show, HelloFresh. HelloFresh makes conquering the kitchen a reality with deliciously simple recipes. They do all the meal planning, shopping, and prepping so you can focus on a healthier you and happier family. Get seasonal, simple recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door every week. HelloFresh is great for cooking experts and novices. They give you an easy-to-follow, six-step pictured recipe card that is delivered to your door each week in a special insulated box. If you live in a city, you've probably seen these things at your neighbor's doors, and you've been like, what is that? I'm jealous. You will have three plants to choose from, classic, veggie, or family, and you can change your plan whenever you want. Parents, you can make family dinners fuss-free with HelloFresh's picky eater, kid-tested, and approved family plan recipes. Here's the beauty of HelloFresh. You're spending less time meal planning and grocery shopping and just cooking unique, delicious meals that you haven't had before. You get to open yourself up to new food opportunities without having to spend the time discovering them. You'll also get to enjoy old recipes that you've cooked before, but with a new twist. I'll give you a perfect example of discovering something new. Over the weekend, Pat and I cooked sweet and smoky pork tenderloins. This one was a party in our mouths. It was just a very unique meal. The pork came with sides of apple carrot slaw and a unique mashed potatoes mix and cherry sauce. And what was so great about it is that this is a meal we never would have thought about cooking ourselves. HelloFresh just sends it to us and we're like, damn, this is genius. Get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside of your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes. These are going to make your evenings because you're going to shake them up with some great new ideas. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MuggleCast80 and enter MuggleCast80. It's like getting eight meals free, free food. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MuggleCast80 and enter code MuggleCast80. So now let's rename the chapter. Mine is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 22, Duh, Part (laughs) 2. As a reminder, Duh, Part 1 was what chapter, Andrew? Last week. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Because they had those aha moments concerning the room of requirement. Ah, well done. 
Uh, I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 22. It isn't lavender. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ron. We didn't touch on that really at all in the chapter, but there are quite a few moments when uh, the trio are together and uh, Ron is kind of ducking out of the way and uh, he's just uh, a little nervous that lavender's coming around the corner. Well, and Felix breaks them up too, so yeah, that's good for Harry also because he was getting pretty tired of their shenanigans. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I renamed the chapter. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 22, Felix, Take the Wheel. <laughs> I love this. I, that is what happens, really. Yeah, I mean, the chapter called Felix- Lighting the path. I, I, I just, it blows my mind that the chapter called Felix Felicis is just when Harry gets it, and it has nothing to do with him using it or, you know, really anything else. So I think this one should have brought it back. All right. Uh, I did mine as Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 22, Chapter 14's Convenient Literary Clue Placement. (laughs) (laughs) And Sarah? And I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 22, One Lucky, Two Drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Now the MVP of the week. Eric, who's yours? Uh, Mine's going to go to Slughorn. You know, it it took a lot of uh, magic and and exterior circumstances, but Slughorn finally did the right thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So now the plot of the book can move along. Hooray. (laughs) I said Aragog for not letting his children eat Hagrid. (laughs) I went with Ron for coming up with the idea to use Felix Felicis. You're giving a lot of MVPs to Ron, aren't you, Mike? Yeah. Back-to-back weeks for Ron. (laughs) I, I gave it to Felix Felicis. I was the last one to put something in here, and I think that's the most obvious one. Uh, And I said Harry, sort of for a similar reason. He got the memory. He finally sorted it out. Even I guess maybe it was Felix who really did the heavy lifting, but uh, Harry. All right. Next time we will discuss chapter 23. So if you have any feedback regarding that chapter or this week's discussion, feel free to email it in, mugglecast at gmail.com, or you can give us a call, 1920-368-4453. That's 1920-3-MUGGLE in the United States, or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. It's time for some Quizzage, which I know we are now integrating into our social media channels. <laughs> we are, absolutely. Uh, our social media manager, Jewel, has now made it possible to play Quizzage on our Instagram, which is at MuggleCastPod. A crazy feature. We're asking the question uh, in our story and then people are submitting via the story feature, and then we're getting all these replies. So now we're playing Quizich on Twitter and Instagram here. Uh, so I'm going to read winners of both, which is great. Um, so last week's question was, uh, who uh, Professor Slughorn gets plant leaves from Professor Sprout. What group of students does he say they are for? Micah covered this in the recap. Uh, his third years, supposedly. His third year students are going to be <laughs> dealing with the uh, venomous tentacular leaves. So uh, correct answers were sent in by uh, on Twitter. Jennifer, Septimoon, Catherine Jones, Lara Catherine, Fluffy McNutters, Potter Hobbit, Tara, A Man Has No Name. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, there we go. Game of Thrones season tomorrow. Uh, Erica, <laughs> Justice for Aragog, Count Ravioli. <laughs> Super Mandy, Haley Hansen, Sarah Davis, and Stacy Davis. And then 
over on Instagram, and everybody should follow us on Instagram if you're not already and absolutely be playing this uh, with us there because it's actually really cool to visually see everybody's answers. But the correct answers on Instagram were from La 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 Raxo, Dustin Hicken, Hufflepuff Alumni, Danielle Morgan Esposito, Chels Thompson, Ali B, JMC Degon, Girl on Fire 90, Mac Ia, Pensive Puzzle, Esther Willa, Samwise 1541, Lissa Lene, Corb Ken, and Michael Not Eric. So, <laughs> what? Okay. Just tons of people. We're going to, I mean, this is going to be its own podcast. It's just Quizich winners every week. I know. I, I know. I wonder if we're going to have to do something about Yeah, this. no, I, I completely agree. This is a, a new thing we're testing out over on Instagram. Maybe we'll just name the, uh, whoever submits more, like if we battle Twitter and Instagram, we'll be like the winners. Of the, I, I don't know. They're, anyway. Hey, that's, a, that's not a bad idea. Or we can just feature all the answers in a story post on Instagram. Maybe. Exactly. Exactly. So we're figuring it out. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening to all those winners. Congratulations to all the people who won next week's question. Uh, who tells nearly headless Nick about Dumbledore's whereabouts in the next chapter? Instagram.com slash MuggleCastPod is where you can follow us there. We're closing in on 2,000 followers. So thanks, everybody, for following us over there. Turns out people are actually listening to the show. So uh, good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You can see what we are up to now. Our social media is officially rolling. (laughs) Um, Our social media presence on Instagram is officially rolling, I should say. We are posting show clips so you can get a preview of what you will find in our latest episodes. So we're making it super easy to hear some highlights right within your social media feeds. Again, Instagram.com slash MuggleCastPod. We're also at Twitter.com slash MuggleCast and Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. Of course, we are also on Patreon. That is where you can get lots of exclusives, including our signed album art, our forthcoming 2019 physical gift. We also recorded a bonus MuggleCast last week. Eric spoke about Mina Lima, the graphic designers behind the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts series. They visited Chicago, so he recapped their appearance here. I'm going to England next week, and honestly, I'm not kidding. The The number one thing I'm looking forward to doing is going back to House of Mina Lima in London. It is a must-do. If you go there, it's a free exhibit of all of their Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts graphic art, and you can buy any of it for a lot of money, but you can buy it. Um, it's just super cool. You, everybody, if you ever go to London, you have to stop by there. It's right around the corner from the Cursed Child's Palace Theater. And of course, when you do pledge on Patreon at the Slug Club level, you will have the chance to co-host MuggleCast, just like Sarah did today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Well, thanks very much for having me. It was really fun. Hope you had a good time. I did. Cool. And we appreciate your support over on Patreon. And keep us posted on Addison's growth. Let us know when you officially get her hooked I will, yeah. on Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> How uh, Serious question. What, what do you think is the right time to introduce a child to the Harry Potter series in terms of reading the books? Like what age? For, uh, I don't know because I'm such a new mom. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm going to read them to her well before she's ready. I'm absolutely certain. <laughs> can't wait. I read them to my wife's stomach while she was pregnant. So, I mean, <gasps> there's no telling serious? here. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it was pretty nice. We didn't get through the whole book, but we started. 
I bought the illustrated editions though, so I'm I'm really excited to, to read those with her for sure. That's gonna be the way they do it. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Yeah. My nephew's about to turn one, shares a birthday with Eric, unbelievably. Fun. <laughs> and uh, I'm debating when to buy them the illustrated books. I'm thinking another couple years. I think we still have some time. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Eric and I have to run off to Star Wars Celebration. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks again, Sarah. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Sarah. Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya. Bye.